This episode of Ride the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where right now the season for citrus continues. Heirloom naval oranges, only 99 cents a pound. That's over a dollar off per pound. Uh, it's not produce, but it is lemon cookies. CC's Italian lemon cookies right now, $6 each from the bakery. Or if you'd like to go in the meat department, boneless, skinless chicken breasts, only $4.99 a pound. And I'm talking about Northwest grown, free range, air chilled, non-GMO certified and vegetarian fed chicken. That's where you get it is at Zupan's. Zupan's has an incredible wine selection all year long. All so the time. Go there anytime. And their beer section's really good oh, too. Yeah. Almost every section. Beer, cider, they have a gigantic cider section. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so grab yourself a bottle of large format wine, pour a glass and listen to uh Listen to our podcast. Do yourself a favor and sign up for the news feed where you'll get weekly emails telling you what's on sale and occasionally what you can get for free when you shop at Zupan's Markets. Three locations for you to enjoy, West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Grove, and then, of course, always, Zupan's.com. All right, here it is. The moment you've been waiting for. The first episode of Right at the Fork in 2019. Year six, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Court Johnson. Mm -hmm. And you've been here for all of them. I have. I've actually died. There's one or two episodes where I was not able to be in the studio. Well, that's true. But you heard some of them. So you're you're the most avid listener. Yeah, I've edited them all. Right. You've yeah. edited them all and you've been here, so no one's heard more yeah. Right at the Fork episodes than you Except have. Except for you, because you've hosted them all. Well, that's true, right. but I don't listen to all of them afterwards. I'll listen to some, right. but I used to listen to more than I do now, but I, I get to be here for the conversation. Yeah, yeah the, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag. We really don't do much editing. Once in a while, we'll edit something. Minor. Minor Just editing. Minor editing. So these are all, you know, that's what Right at the Fork is all about, conversations. Mm-hmm. And with Andy Ricker here to start the year, yeah. you know, these are back and forth conversations. There's a lot to talk to a guy like Andy of Pock Pock and uh, Pock Pock fame. Um, and so we were going a little bit left and a little bit right, weaving, and uh, I wish we'd had more time to talk to Andy. And we... It was hard to get him here over a few years it because took, coordinating schedules yeah. was rough. He's been on the at the top of the, of our want list from the beginning. Right, the want list is smaller and smaller. We yeah, got yeah. A, Naomi Pomeroy, are you listening? <laughs> so uh, we're going to get her on this year, I yeah. hope. But we got Andy on, and um, and he is a he's a bastion of knowledge of in terms of opening restaurants, not only here in Portland but New York, mm-hmm. Los Angeles. He's a James Beard Award winner. Um, and he's a smart guy, and he's just opened up my my favorite thing. They just opened at the old Humdinger, the Pock Pock Wing. Yep. So uh, like two days ago, right out near your uh, your Portland residence. Right. Yeah. And by the way, when I say two days ago, we're recording this on the eighteenth yeah. of December. We recorded his episode about a week ago. That's right. So um, so we're doing the intro later. Anyway. Great to have Andy Ricker here. We have a fun year planned out for you. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, uh, good talking to Andy. We talk a little bit about the business of restaurants uh, in this episode, about um, what it meant to him to close New York and why he did. Um, and I think that's very interesting because we have three chefs 
that uh, right off the top of our heads here, Andy, Tommy Habits of Bunk, mm-hmm. and and also Matt Leitner, who opened Atera in right. New York and won lots of accolades, and all three of them are closed. So um, interesting how that worked, mm-hmm. o- opening rest- going from Portland to the large market of New York. So we talked to Andy about that, and then you need to tune in next week because we're going to talk to An- uh, Andy about his thoughts on Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, so it's a, it's a two-parter. Right, two-parter. So this one's a little longer, and next week's going to be a little shorter. So um, budget something, you know, budget going to Pock Pock in next week. There you for go. For the in, extra 15, 20 minutes you don't have. Or oh, between. Right. Just so you have better, more perspective. So, Perfect. So um, we're really pleased to uh, open our year, our sixth year, with Andy Ricker of Pock Pock. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more. With a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. And by Portland Food Adventures. Inviting you to listen to Right at the Fork, episode number 170 with Proud Mary Coffee's Nolan Hurdy. Then imagine yourself eating and sipping your way through Melbourne, Australia this April for nine incredible days of VIP treatment at Nolan's favorite places in Proud Mary's home city. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact Right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and extra savings on these PFA food journeys. It's just been difficult to, to schedule, sure. to have you on the podcast. We're starting off, this is uh, welcoming our listeners to year six of the podcast, oh, wow. which is pretty pretty crazy. I feel like I've been here before. In here? Maybe with... Um, it was with Kurt Huffman in uh, Leather Stores. They did, okay. They, they were doing something out of the studio. Right. Then they worked Briefly. with Kurt. So they, and I think they met Kurt when I had Kurt on. So it's yeah. a small world. There you go. So, um, yeah, how did that go? As I recall, it went fine. What did you, do you remember what you were talking about? No idea. Leather, they're both Restaurants. Restaurants. Good topic. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you know a little bit about it. So, when you were a kid in Vermont, did it even dawn on you that uh, you'd be sitting in Portland, Oregon in a studio the second time having discussed restaurants? Um, as a bit of an when I was a kid in Portland, I didn't know my ass from my elbow, so I, you know, I had no idea. So how did you, you were in Vermont though? Yeah, but I literally, I mean, I left Vermont when I was 18. Okay. Yeah. So that you were, you're talking about an older kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I started working in restaurants when I was about 15, I guess. And, uh, I left Vermont when I graduated from high school. So. And what, uh, what yeah. was the impetus for that? Could you just not wait to get out of Vermont? Yeah. Was it a yeah, negative totally. as, as opposed to no, you saw I, something that appealed no, to you No, I more? just, I wanted to get the fuck out of, out of Portland, uh, out of uh, uh, Vermont and I wanted to go skiing. So I was going to Vail. But you had skiing yeah. there. 
Not like <clears throat> not like Vale. Not like Vale. Yeah. Not like Vale. So you like to go big? Uh I don't know. I I I think um in that situation it was just more a matter of uh, like I'm an opportunist, I guess. There was some friends of mine were there. They were sending me pictures of it. I didn't know anything and it looked great. So that's what I decided to do. And did you, when you moved out there, did you live with, uh, you're 18, you got to just bunk with friends? Yeah, to no, start of course. Out? Yeah, of course. We were, I think there was three or four of us living in an apartment together um, initially. And then I can't remember everything, but yeah, you know, there, I, I, I certainly didn't have my own penthouse. No. Yeah. And is that, that's probably not your objective even now. You're not looking for a penthouse. Um, that would mean that I'm, that somebody's living below me. So no, not really. Yeah, well, but a, a proper penthouse would have sound, the proper sure. so, sound insulation. Right. Well, you know, um, <laughs> if the situation was right, I probably would be fine with a penthouse. Yeah. Oh, you would? Okay. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. So, I don't know, because um, I asked that question. I didn't really mean to be flip, but, you know, people have different objectives in life. and um, Some I people find, don't have objectives. Well, that's true. They find them, somehow they just keep flailing around and they it yeah. works. Sometimes I wonder if that's my case. I've just fallen into things along the way. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, you know, you did too. You went to Colorado or you fell into mm -hmm. cooking and there was no grand scheme. Right. There really wasn't. I didn't I didn't like, you know, as a kid I didn't wake up in the morning and go, by God, I'm gonna be a chef. But it just wasn't that not wasn't many people the deal. do that. And yeah. even they're not doing it in college, especially back years ago when you went to if if you went to college you didn't really have to identify what you wanted to do. Nowadays, it's a whole different, it's a whole different world because college is so expensive and even, you know, getting into proper restaurants is, uh, is a big deal. So you have to, you have to make that decision early on. Mm. Um, you know, I read a really good interview with you recently where you said you're not plan you don't plan to right now. You're not planning too far in advance. You're trying to get through the next few months or few years. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you're getting towards, um, traditional retirement age. I don't mean to age you, but you know, mm -hmm. it's coming in the next 20 years. That's close. Oh, yeah. than it was when you were 18. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the reason I ask that is because I've, as I said, we've been doing this for six years and, you know, a lot of the Portland food world started because of creativity and not so much capital, uh, a capital, capitalistic venture. You know, I'm going to make a lot of money. Everybody will say, if you want to make a lot of money, don't go in the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. So um, you're driven by uh, an adventuresome spirit and also your love for the food you love. Mm. Is that it? I mean, so... Well, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of motivations and nothing static. You, you, you start out, uh, doing something, thinking it's going to be one way and it, it turns another way and then it turns another way and it turns another way and you change and, uh, motivations change and the business changes and there is no, I don't, you know, I'm not, uh, on the one hand I, I'm, I have ideals that I, that I stick to, but I'm not an idealistic person and, um, you know, there's, you, you can, you can give a lot of lip service to, but you're doing, you're in it for creativity and you're, you're in it for culture and you're in it for this, or you want to quote, feed people unquote. Um, and I remember, I can't, I don't have a timeline on this, but I remember when, um, do you remember when Taqueria Nueve went out of business? Mm-hmm. 
That was a while back. Four years ago. I think it was a little longer than that. I usually, yeah, I usually take what I think it is and double it nowadays. I think it's longer than that. And and I think, you know, that was, that was kind of like the first big wake up call. I I think for Mm -hmm. me, it was like, well, there's this, you know, because they were, they had this incredibly successful restaurant that was just busy and it was busy right up to the last day. And, but they had, they had overextended themselves and opened up, you know, in the Pearl and they'd opened, um, DFA which was also very good. But at that time, the Pearl was a wasteland, right? It, mm-hmm. it was, it was before the Pearl filled up with people. It was when it was empty. So, you know, dated by that, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And I remember just seeing Taqueria Nueva going from being like this place where you walk in, you had to wait 20 minutes to sit at a table, uh, to a few months later being gone. And I was like, wow, you know, the shit just got real. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's gotten progressively harder. It's gotten progressively more competitive. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not the Portland that gave birth to this whole, uh, sort of food centric and, uh, kind of food revolution as Karen Brooks might call it. Um, you know, that, that Portland is gone. You know, the, 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 the thing where you can just kind of like paint the walls red and put thrift store, uh, silverware and, and, and plates on the table. Open kingdom of Roosevelt. And serve killer food and, for $14 right. a plate is over. It's right. done. And, um, and, and that, you know, that may, in a lot of ways, what, what was happening here, uh, I don't think was sustainable in the long run. It just, you know, because life goes on and, and, uh, that kind of stuff is like never has been a, a long-term sustainable thing, whether it's music or art or food or whatever, you know, there's, there's Renaissance periods and then, then the shit's over and it gets commercialized. One thing thing changes at all. Look at the record industry. Now look at every, almost every industry has changed though. And now you've got, you know, I was uh, not, I'm, I'd like to continue down that road, but I was um, reading where you were happy to uh, take ski passes as a back of the house tip years ago and who knew that um you'd be in the market where there was this push and pull between front of the house you'd be running a business where Mm -hmm. you'd have to figure out how to keep that back of the house sustainable the whole business sustainable because of that card of the back of the house Mm. um and that's really come to the fore in the last couple of years oh yeah and and do you see a way out? And I also want to talk a little bit about New York because mm-hmm. not many restaurateurs in Portland des- have decided to take that on. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You took it on. Matt Leitner took it on. Mm-hmm. You're, neither of you are there now. Mm-hmm. Tommy Habits. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the business of the res- restaurant world, you know, you had... What was your objective in going to New York? What did you want to, I know you wanted to bring wonderful Thai food to a larger market to expand it, but mm. when you were thinking about that, did you, were you thinking money? Um, what were you thinking about when you... Okay, so we'll leave the, fir- the first question that you asked about the wage disparity thing. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about New York. So why did I go to New York? Um, well, remember, it's, it's related. I'm sorry. But. Um, not so much. Not okay. so much as you might think. Uh, 
the the original impetus to to go to New York uh, was because he started in two thousand and ten. I uh, uh, won a James Beard Award, and um, that you know I didn't at the time I didn't really understand what that meant. But what it did mean initially was, you know, I started getting invited to go to New York to do events and stuff like that, because at that time, New York was the center of the universe and of the restaurant universe. And it's no longer, you can't call it the center of the universe anymore. It's, it's a major star out there pulling, pulling a lot of gravity, but it's, it's not the center anymore. I don't know if there is a center. I was just going to ask where you think the center is. I don't know if there is a center. I, I think if you, if you had to like battle it out that. The weight is shifting towards LA, uh, but I don't. I don't know that that LA is now the undisputed center of the universe for restaurants. I can't. I don't agree with that. And I think, given the way media is nowadays, it's 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 yeah able to be spread out. Someone can be big from Nashville, sure, Charleston, Chicago, wherever, wherever. Yeah. So, but at the time, that was the deal, and um, you know, I, I started. You know, people started saying, "When are you opening in New York? There's nothing like it here. You'd kill it." And uh, then I started thinking, Hmm, I wonder if I could, because I'd lived in New York in the past. I lived there in 2003. I'm from the East coast. Originally I'm from Vermont. And, um, you know, I, uh, I like the East coast. I like New York a lot and I had lived there before and I swore I was going to come back somehow. And, um, you know, there seemed to be a lot of people there that I, I had a lot of respect for that seemed to think that I would, you know, that Pock Pock would do well by opening there. So I started looking into it and, uh, it, it seemed like it was possible. And at that time, I think there was, I'm trying to remember, there was Pock Pock and Whiskey Soda Lounge. And we may have just opened Pock Pock Noi. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think we just opened Pock Pock Noi. And things were pretty stable. And uh, it seemed like, you know, a possible thing to do. Why and why did I do it? It wasn't because I thought I'd make a bunch of money. I was I'm smart enough to know that, that that's, that's not really uh, a good possibility. But I didn't, I'm also smart enough to know that if you're able to open in the restaurant, you know, the center of the restaurant universe, and if you're able to, uh, you know, do well, that it helps the rest of your business. It helps everything else. And I would say that, that, um, it did obviously. And I don't, I don't know that the second book deal would come. I don't know that any of the television stuff that I've done would have come. I don't know that the you know, the profile of Pock Pock as a brand would be what it was if we didn't open in New York. I, uh, who knows? Uh, you know, it, it could be that, that we were, you know, if we'd have waited and, uh, you know, things could have happened here too. But, it, you know, it, uh, by the time things really blew up here and, and we're, we're now in this world where you can be big anywhere, I would have been, you know, we would have been around for a long time already. So mm-hmm. my, my guess is that, that doing that was, was a good move. At what point um, in the cycle of Pock Pocks, because mm. you opened really small, I mean, and mm. you didn't have huge, you just wanted to open what you, you mm. wanted to do what you wanted to do at the time, I think. At what point did you realize, I got to be, uh, this is, I got to get up to speed on business, and there are a lot of pieces to this that aren't about cooking. Oh, that happened long, long before New York or even the second restaurant that right. happened but at um, what point in the pock pock from when you were a cart to well well first we were never a cart we were never a cart that's a 
misconception that people hold on to. There, there was never a cart in front of Pock Pock ever. We've always been a brick and mortar. Uh, so we we have a cart a, now. It was a little stand? What, what would you call there. it? It's the shack. Right, right still the there. shack. Okay, it was still the there. shack. It, it hasn't changed except for there's stuff built around it. Uh, mm-hmm. Still the exact structure is there exactly as it was before. And by the way, when you open that, I, I moved in two thousand, moved here in 2005. Mm-hmm. Division Street, there wasn't anything going on there. Nothing that I know of. Well, I mean, maybe real, no. real them in down the street. Laurel. You got to remember that Laurel oh, right, opened. right, right, And Laurel was a big deal when it opened. That was Machado's kind of like, you right. know, I'm out of the corporate world and I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Right. And that place was really, really popular. He, he, he was the one who busted Division Street open. And then there was, um, uh, what's the name of the pastry, the French pastry place. They've left and now. Picks? Picks Patisserie had opened up uh, Kitty Corner to Laurel. And then it was between Pock Pock and Victory we were both trying to get open. I think I beat them by a month or two. Um, so that, you know, it, we weren't the first, but at, at the time it, you know, obviously it wasn't anything like it is now. I think Clay's smokehouse might've been there too. Right. So but that, yeah, that was a little yeah. further down. I, I, uh, that's, we've had David on the podcast a few times. I really like him. I've yeah. always given you, I've always pointed to you when I look at all the buildings in division and say, that's where it started. Yeah, and people, I'm probably wrong. people like to say that, but I, I don't think that's necessarily true. You, you you asked me a question about what uh, when I realized that that I had to have my business poop in a group, and it happened pretty early on. I you know I think it was like the second or third year that Pock Pock was open. Uh, I had you know I'd realized that I was losing my ability to judge whether the food was good anymore because I hadn't been back to Thailand and I hadn't been back to the source, and my palate was starting to get whack, and I couldn't. I was like, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if it's wrong. I need to go back and make sure that what we're doing is right. And so, so I said, okay, I, I, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be gone for three weeks. I was gone for three weeks. And, uh, you know, so I went, I went back over there. I got back in touch and, with, with things and just kind of like, like recalibrated and, and got my head straight, came back. And in the three weeks that I was gone, it took me, uh, it took me like three months to unfuck everything that went wrong in the three weeks that I was gone. And it was at that point, a little bit of a paradox. We, yeah. I, and I was just like, damn, if I do not get this stuff systemized, if I don't get my head wrapped around and get a, get a, you know, get my arms around this, I'm never going to be able to leave. And it's always going to be a shit show. And you know, uh, also for the first year and a half of two years, uh, I had a stack of papers in a cardboard box. I had a ledger and I had a checkbook. And when the bills came in, I would write a check and send it off. And, you know, as long as there was money in the bank, I just keep on writing. I had no idea where I was. As long as the cash flow was positive, I figured it, that, that that was enough. You know, and frankly, that's all that all I had the time to do because I was waking up at six thirty in the morning and and like starting to prep, and then you know working in the restaurant, and then you know it was just it was bonkers. So, um, you know, and that's around the time when I met Kurt Huffman. So Kurt, uh, kind of you know, he had just he was in school. He's still in business school. He's at the Haas Business School, and you know he was interested in in getting back into restaurants and doing that. And, um, so 
leather stores introduced us because leather actually helped me a lot when I was first opening. And um, Kurt said, yeah, well, let's figure out some, some bookkeeping stuff here. <laughs> so, you know, he came in and helped me get that sorted. And I was busy, you know, getting recipes tightened up and making systems so that, that like if I stepped away from the restaurant, things wouldn't, you know, crash because I wasn't there looking at every little thing. So it happened pretty early on and everything since then, I would say that, you know, there's obviously a lot of effort goes into the food and stuff like that. But, you know, for aspiring restaurateurs, what you got to understand is that, that the food is only a small slice of the pie when you're running a restaurant and it's, it's the fun part. It's the creative part. Um, and it's what people show up for, but you have to put, uh, you have to put a lot more effort into everything else in order to be successful. And that's not why most people get into it. It's not why you got into it as all that other stuff that no. you got to focus on. If someone had said, this is no. got to become a bookkeeper. No, I mean, you have to do, you have to know a lot. I mean, you have to be able to, uh, you have to have some sort of idea about how finances work. You have to have some sort of idea about how, uh, your physical plant works. You gotta, you gotta know something about electrical work. You gotta know something about plumbing. You gotta know something about HVAC. You gotta know something about everything. How do you gotta be a, like a, a, a competent, uh, workman, like, you know, mechanic in a way, uh, it, or, or you're just, you know, you're just forever going to be paying people shit, you know, to do shit that, that you can do yourself. I remember, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember at Pak Pak Noi, we had a, we had a, a chef there, a uh, kitchen manager and great guy. But, um, you know, we were trying to encourage people to, to look for solutions for small problems without having to engage the whole team. And, uh, he had a leaky faucet, you know, just like one of these little restaurant sinks that's, you know, it's got a leaky faucet. So he called the plumber, <laughs> the plumber came and, you know, took the thing apart, put in a new gasket, put it back together again and charged us $200 for, for a service call. Well, you know, that fucking sink costs $95, including the faucet. And, you know, I, I, I just, it, you know, if, if you don't have some sort of basic idea about how stuff works, that's where you start spending money that you don't think about when you're opening a restaurant. You know, it's every time you call a service provider, it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars and you, you're not accounting for that. You're thinking about as a, as a, especially if you're a chef owner, you're thinking about food cost, you're thinking about labor cost, you're thinking about rent and then, then the various you know, utilities and stuff like that. And the rest of it is kind of like this, this vague sort of like, how does this affect my bottom line insurance, blah, 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 this other stuff. And then, you know, uh, everybody's having fun and cooking and it's cool, but you forgot to clean out the, the uh, compressor of your refrigerator and you know, something that you bought a year ago suddenly crashes because there's a sweater on the outside of the in air intake and you know, you, it's a new compressor and that's $2,000. Now we yeah, have with, right? with margins, the way they are in restaurants, how many wings do you need to sell? We well, need to sell a to lot cover, to cover that $2,000. You have to sell price. a lot. And, and look, it, it's like being an independent restaurant, restaurant with you know no no investors and where it's your money that's on the line you really you you have to learn this stuff and or i felt that i did um because you know i i, I don't really have i don't have anything to fall back on this is it this is what i got and uh 
if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to go back to being a house painter, which wouldn't be the end of the world. I actually enjoy painting houses, but, um, you know, tough go in I, Portland yeah, I, I don't really, you know, that's, that's not what I want to do. I want to do this. And, um, so, you know, I, I've always kind of viewed the business as business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're not always, you didn't start out that way, but now you have to, you, the, I would imagine the challenges as you're talking about your kitchen manager who had to learn how to do some basic plumbing, mm. your challenges when you're away, cause not it, not only in Thailand, but you had reason recently to be in Los Angeles and New York and sure. all over the place that you need to be able to duplicate those skills and, and impress mm. upon people that they have to make that work. And they don't have the same, you know, they have a job and they're loyal yep. to the organization, but you're the one who really has that, yeah. that motivation to do things as cheaply and as well as possible. Sure. So that is, that's a big part of what you're doing now i mean how how much of your time do you actually spend with hey here's some new exciting a new exciting recipe i want to put on and here's how to make it better and mentoring and the the, the business side and, and how do you mentor very well when you're out are you spend a lot of time texting and and calling sure. so um you know probably uh i spend less time with the food part of it than i want to of course uh, it doesn't mean I'm completely disengaged from it, but, um, you know, it's at this point, keep in mind, we've been going out of this, this for 13 years and I'm not as driven by finding the new cool thing as, as some other chefs are. I, we've got a back catalog of probably around 150 different dishes that we can rotate in and out if we wanted to. And those dishes are traditional Thai dishes that aren't necessarily looking for the new trend. Sure. Either. And, you know, but, but the other part of it for me is that, um, uh, we, we, you know, uh, yes, I like to introduce new dishes and we do. Um, but to me, the places that I go in Thailand and the places that I go here, to be frank with you, are, are usually legacy places, places that have been around for a long time, often they're family run places and they might make the same dish for generations. And to me, that's, that's what I like to eat. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who's like, Ooh, the new restaurant just opened up. I got to go try their, you know, um, black pudding with hummingbird assholes on top of it. It's not my, you know, it's not really. Who's got that? Well, you know, I'm sure somebody does, but you know, with the little bloops of sauce and the, and the microgreens and the tweezers and shit, it's like that, that food has a place and it's interesting and and all that kind of stuff. But like at the end of the day, you know, that's not what I want to eat. I want to go eat a bowl of, of Vietnamese noodles or I want to have a, a, you know, I'd rather have a meatloaf made by somebody who's been making meatloaf for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So at Pok Pok, what, what's happened over the years is that the menu's gotten more and more set. Like we only change between two and four items on the set menu, maybe five on the outside uh, at any given menu change. Um, and I, I'm, I like that. And it is, you know, the, the goal there is that if you come in to Pok Pok and you order the Gang Hung Lei, it's the same that you, as you had it last time because people are creatures of habit and they, mm-hmm. want, they want to have the same thing over and over again. And does that make you boring? Some people might say, yeah, but I would say no, that makes you consistent and it makes you, it makes you a place where, um, you know, you can bring your kids and say, hey, try this. And we, you know, we've got, we've got that. We've got people who are coming in now who are adults who came into Pok Pok for the first time 13 years ago mm-hmm. and they're, they're grown up now. 
And you know that that I find that really really satisfying. Also, um, you know, from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense if you know that the, for the last ten years you've sold. You know, you can look at the graph and you can say we've sold X number of steak salads. You know, this date. You know, for the last ten years on this date, we've sold this many steak salads, and mm-hmm. it's it's been consistent. It makes running your business a lot more simple too. And I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of honor in making the same thing over and over again, and and but never taking it for granted. Always trying to make it as good as you can. Always trying to improve it. Um, I really agree with you. I think we live in Portland, Oregon in 2018, many people. And because there's always something new, like daily almost, mm-hmm. um, we tend to pay attention to that. And you know, I'm sure you don't listen to this podcast, but I've been harping for years that the places that have been around for a long time and are still serving the same dishes, as you point out, Ringside, mm-hmm. Steakhouse, and you know, at the time, been around for a while, Park Kitchen. I said, mm-hmm. People need to patronize us. It's hard for a Park Kitchen and a Paley's Place to stay on in the conversation because everybody's talking about all the next new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I think that's it, the nature of the game. And if, if you're going to get into the game, um, you know, you got to be aware that that's one of the, that's one of the things that's, that's about it. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to still serve relatively unique, though I can't say that, that we don't have competition. We absolutely do. There's lots of places that have opened recently that serve food that's similar or same as, you know, as we do. Uh, and in some cases they may do it better. And, 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 and that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. But also, you know, there's room for everybody there. Um, and I'm, I'm happy if people say, oh, the Pock Pock's boring. It's the same menu, you know, all the time. It's like, good. That's good for me. Well, yeah, and plus good when someone me. has the same menu, you, and you bring friends, there's nothing sure. more disappointing than you wanted to, you wanted them to try what you tried and then it's not there. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're starting over from no, scratch. Look, the, the people out there who are innovating and doing cool new, new dishes and changing the menu every week, um, you know, they're. Absolutely. That's the, that's the stuff that drives the interest in the restaurant industry these days. And as long as people are interested, it's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, talking down on people who do that at all. It's just not my bag. And, and I'd rather do what we do. Yeah. And you made the conscious decision to present northern thai cuisine as though it's as it's not been presented i find it interesting that um you made the point uh in one of the interviews that i was reading that uh there may have been some of the dishes that you serve but they were just called uh yellow curry as opposed to the actual names Mm -hmm. and that's frustrating the the names are frustrating for me because i can't remember them very easily Mm -hmm. but what you're doing is authentic and i think that points to it being authentic and and not you're not only introducing the flavors of a dish, but the actual culture, the name of name of dish names of dishes as well. Well, first of all, and we don't use the word authentic at all in, in relation to the Pock Pock restaurants or traditional. I don't have, I don't make any claims of authenticity. Um, I think you know what we what we've tried to say is that what we're doing is specific regional food of Thailand and Southeast Asia and you know, just done our best to present what I have when I'm there uh, as close to what it is when I'm there as possible. And, 
Does, yes, there's, does, does not authentic cover that from a, no. I, I think authentic is a loaded word. Authent- it's a marketing term, maybe. It, no, I mean it has it has real meaning to people, and uh, if you're, you know, if you're a young Thai American who was raised uh, by parents who are, you know, um, you know, first generation immigrants, and you've been eating this food of of your homeland cooked by your parents then you there is a there is a kind of a connection to the word traditional and the connection to the word authentic because that's what's authentic to you and for me to come along and claim authenticity is frankly you know it's i've never done it and i you know it's it's not and it's not just i don't do it not just because it's politically uh you know not a great idea. I do it because I believe in it. I believe that I don't have a claim to authenticity, but I also I'm not shackled to authenticity either. I'm not shackled to this idea that, that, um, you know, I don't have a grandmother who made this dish and I'm not shackled to this, this kind of idea that if I, that if I don't make it the way my grandmother made it, it's not authentic. So I'm able to go and eat you know, 10 grannies version of Kalsoy and, and go, well, I, you know, I think that hers had a good thing there and hers had a good thing there. And, you know, his had a good thing there and I'm going to make Kalsoy, but I'm going to make it, uh, so that it tastes like if you were in Chiang Mai, it would taste like a Kalsoy that you would find there, but it's not a, a carbon copy of one rest, one recipe. And it's not, it, it's not based on, some sort of idealized idea of what uh, my grandma made. So, you know, it's, you know, we live, we live in a time where, you know, white dude making food like this is not a good optic. And um, I don't think it's ever been a good thing. I don't, you know, optically. And, and, and in a lot of cases it's been done in a disrespectful kind of uh, uh, way that, that, that I don't agree with. Um, I, I think that's why it took me so long to open the restaurant. You know, worked on it for 13 years before I finally opened, and I didn't want to do it until I felt confident that I was going to be able to, pre- you know, present something that was true to to where it came from, wasn't a direct rip off of what somebody else was doing, but was like very very closely in tune with a, a particular type of thing. And I made sure that that you know I I studied carefully before doing it and. You know, and, and that's what we've stuck with is the whole time is just being, you know, being mindful of the fact that we're serving food from another culture, that I'm not of that culture. It doesn't matter how much time I've spent there. It doesn't matter that, that I've been going there for 30 years and that I speak the language and all that kind of stuff. Th- still, I, I'm still not from You're there. not giving yourself, well, okay, I understand you're making yeah. that point, but there aren't a lot of people doing what you do who's pu- who've put that heart and soul into what Oh, that's my problem. (laughs) Well, but it's also our benefit too, right? So Um, you you have to, you're being humble, I think, because you're spending, you've spent a lot of your time to make that place as wonderful as it can be. You're not, you're, of course you're enjoying your life in Thailand mm -hmm. when you're there, but um, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know any other way to do it, to be honest with you. I I just didn't, um, you know, uh. Well, you could not yeah. go back, right? You uh, aside from the fact that you like it, but mm-hmm. you have a formula that works. It worked here. It worked for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes in New York enough to get sure. accolades there and to generate uh, James Beard nominations and Michelin star. 
in New York. Sure. And we, we had a nice run there. We were there for seven years, um, you know, all together by the time, you know, starting from build out to last day in business. Um, and you know, that was, that's good. And, and yeah, I agree. I think that, that what Pock Pock does has, has a place in, in kind of the conversation about, um, Thai food, hopefully, and about restaurants in general. Uh, but it's just a fucking restaurant, man. Yeah, you know, it is. It's, it's just a fucking restaurant. It's and a good one that people that people <laughs> fly here to go to, right? So uh, yeah. you got to give yourself a little more credit. And I understand. It's. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I think that's what makes the restaurant what it is. Is part of it is your uh, humility, but um, but also what makes it what it is is your passion, and that involves being the best at what you can do. Thirteen years before you opened it, and and mm. honing it in that mm. period of time. Hey, Chris, right now would be a great opportunity for us to stop for a moment and just talk nicely about Ringside Steakhouse. What other way is there to talk about them? Well, it's really true. I, every time I talk about Ringside with the folks here at Kink, when I'm telling them where they should go eat, oftentimes it's like, well, what do you want? Oh, you want a steakhouse? You got to go to Ringside. And then it always leads right into the best onion rings on the planet. Yeah, well, there's that, but there's a lot. I just had the uh, rib steak for two, bone in. Oh, last time I was there a couple yeah. well, a week ago or so ago. That that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that we had Becky McGrath of the chef from Burgerville here. Yeah, who when we asked her what her favorite burger was on the planet, she said it was at Ringside. Ringside. So that's right. Um, so there's that, but that that bone in rib steak for two is fantastic. Yeah, uh, their service at ringside is second to none and of course they have some really special sunday and monday nights sunday night they have a three-course meal yeah chris that three-course supper special is what they call it 44 dollars before six or 54 dollars after six it's pretty great we've done we've done that before together right and then i think both of us upgraded to the lobster mashed potatoes okay, you got to do that upgrade nominal fee Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And then, of course, Monday nights is prime rib night. Yep. So if you like the prime rib, it's a great deal at ringside. And it's a, you know, it's a good opportunity to get in there, too. Yep. Uh, right now, they've got a great deal going on with gift cards. Through the end of the year, when you buy $300 worth of gift cards, they're going to give you a $50 bonus card just for you. Or if you buy 500 worth of gift cards get a $100 bonus card just for you. Yeah, you don't have to use it for you either. You can you can actually make that a gift. There you go. So just get double the value, or more, not double, but extra value for your dollar. Absolutely. So here's what you do. You go to ringsidesteakhouse.com, set up reservations, maybe for this weekend, and check it out. What did you learn in New York that uh, will help you going forward? And about yourself also i mean are Mm. you getting to the point where you're thinking i don't want to i don't necessarily want to take on a challenge like that Mm -hmm. um and i want to wind it down maybe and relax a little bit more and Mm -hmm. have some more time to yourself are you able and this is another question are you able to do that most chefs aren't able to relax and sit still um well it's there was a lot that was a lot uh, let me let me yeah. start with the 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 New York part. So what did I learn? I learned that that um, I guess that uh, you know restaurants are restaurants wherever you go. There's a little there's different scenarios or markets are different, but a restaurant's a restaurant, and, and the the benefits and troubles are similar everywhere you go. Um, so uh, it you know it 
it gave me the courage to know that if if I could open a restaurant in New York, I could probably open a restaurant anywhere. You mm-hmm. know, because it's you know I could tell you stories. Right, you could do it, but now it involves yeah. flying there and sure. being there and. Well, you know, there, there's that part of it. So uh, what else did it teach uh, teach me about myself was that, you know, I do have a limit to, to, to how much work I'm willing to do uh, in order to sustain a business. Um, and, uh, you know, getting out of it was uh, definitely, um, it was a relief. And it, it also, you know, it, it was kind of like, I think, when people shut restaurants down often they hold on to the very last second like it, what like hoping against hope that it's all going to work out and as shit just crumbles around them and in this case we were able to to forecast that you know we when we closed the restaurant we were still profitable and we we're you know but we could see when we were not going to be profitable anymore and you know having a really really clear picture of how the business runs and how much efforts put into it uh really helped with the decision it was like you know, this, this was the right thing to do to get out of New York when we did was the right thing to do. And how, you know, how long was it from the warning sign to the decision? About a year. And we, you know, we, we track our sales and we could see that we're the trend. We could see that our revenue was going down by a certain percentage and the costs were coming up. And at some point, you know, you mm-hmm. hit, a, you hit a place at some point where, you know, you, you go upside down and you want to get out before you go upside down. Because if you wait until you're upside down, then you're then you're in trouble. You're you're burdened with a bunch of shit. Like money starts hemorrhaging, and you know it's just you you don't want to uh, be the guy who puts the notice on the door and locks it overnight, and employees show up with no job. That's just bullshit. Mm-hmm. So you know we could see it coming, and there were a bunch of other factors that that came into it. Our lease was ending. Uh, our general manager had given notice, and um, you know I'd I'd looked at the idea of, of moving to another neighborhood, all this other stuff. And it was just like, yeah, it doesn't matter if I move now you're it's New York. You kind of have to reinvent yourself a little bit when you, when you reopen, that means a, another commitment, probably another two year hardcore commitment to, to, you know, to really making this work. And it's a different world than it was in 2011 when we opened mm-hmm. and, um, and a different city. No, no. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. That, you know, in New York, restaurant world's a different place than it was in 2011 oh, okay. and you know trying to do what we did in 2011 2018 or 2019 is you know <laughs> a substantially different uh prospect so you know uh, the other thing that i learned was that you know there was a lot of you know ringing of of handkerchiefs and teary goodbyes and and everything and and um you know really you know, uh, people who would come in, it was, it was really nice. Like people would come and say, Hey, you know, I came, we came here on our first date. Now we're married. Here's our baby, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And you know, the neighborhood's going to miss you, but you know, the, re- the restaurant's gone and you know, it, it, there's no, there's no wailing and gnashing of teeth in the, in the media. They're done. Like we closed and that's it. And you know, people are still eating. And, and, and there's plenty of other places to eat. It's just a fucking restaurant, you know, and, and you, restaurateurs and chefs tend to take themselves really much too seriously. I think, you know, we're, 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 we're in this little bubble where we're doing this one little thing and our world revolves around it. It's our whole uniform universe. And it's, and, and, you know, but at the end of the day, 
this is a disposable, this is a luxury thing. This is not, uh, this is not something people need to survive. This is, this is a luxury thing. And you know, it's, it's more than that. But at the end of the day, it's a restaurant. Do you think your experience uh, in the Thai culture has helped you to be able to say it's just a restaurant? This is a luxury. It's not something people need. <laughs> well, to no, I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist. I mean, you know, it's uh, though I, I, there is something to, to living in the present for sure. Um, I'll tell you what ha- what did what has helped me with that is knowing that I have a place there that I live that, that I have a a more normal life there than I have here you know, house, cats, mm-hmm. girlfriend, you know, uh, garden. And it, you know, I, I can go there and, and have a normal life. And, and that's, uh, that's pretty attractive compared to, to what I do when I'm here in the States, you know, which is. So yeah. do you th- think I'm just projecting here that it might be that years from now, you'd like to spend more time in Thailand and less here or if you got to the point where you thought, okay, let me, s- can you sell the restaurant? Would you ever sell Pock Pock and the whole? Sure, you know anybody? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> got, Someone might be you listening. Got, you got somebody lined up. But would you do that? And and when you get to 65, 70, what, what do you want to be doing? What balance do you want to have? And Well, I mean, look, it's um, 55 now, and the restaurant's been going for 13 years, and um you know, I still, I still love the restaurant business and I'm still obsessed with it and I still, you know, go at it. But, um, my, my commitment, I think is beginning to wane a little bit. I'm, I don't feel as like, you know, I used to think I'll do this forever till the day I drop dead. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I could see not doing it anymore at some point. But there's no there's no plans to to not do this anymore. Right, but you can see yeah. it. Whereas oh, I could see I could see not doing it here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who, who's to say what what might happen in Thailand later? Um, Has your love of Portland waned? No, I love Portland just as much as ever. It, Portland's a great city. It's changed a lot. It's not it's not you know exactly the same vibe that it was when I first moved here in in uh, 1990. Uh, but you know, there's still parts of it and you know, the people, there's still people I know from back then that are still here, still doing their thing. And, uh, you know, uh, Portland is great. Uh, you know, what's not to like about Portland. Do you consider, um, oh, do you consider you've got, so Pac Pac is here, Earl's doing some great things with Longbone, mm-hmm. Nong who used to work for you is doing sure. some great things. Do you? Do you think that Portlanders can lay any claim to a Thai Thai centric? Where you know, if you love Thai food, this is a great place to come check it out. Uh, you know, I think to a certain extent, but really, I mean, if you want to uh, really kind of experience Thai Thai food from a Thai culture standpoint, you got to go to L.A. And, or, or Thailand, or right. Thailand, or New York. I mean, look, it, we have we have a relatively small. Uh, Thai population here in in Portland, and um, though we have a, a a lot of Thai restaurants, um, I think that and and you, you could argue that because of of Pak Pak and Earl and some other people that that are doing their thing that that there is a, a sort of like per capita uh, sort of higher quality of Thai food here than than most other places, 
um, you know, who knows? It's, it's the world's moving so fast right now and places are just popping up all over the place. You know, you can, you can see it, um, happening. Including you know. pop-ups. That's the perfect. Yeah. Pop, yeah pop-ups them. too. So yeah, Portland, but, but the, here's the problem. It's like, we're never going to be a world-class player in the Thai food scene because we don't, we can't get the product here. You know, anything that we need to make the food the way it's made in Thailand is coming from Mexico, Florida, California, Hawaii. Uh, it's not coming from here. I mean, green papayas don't grow here. Mm-hmm. They grow. We got a lot of good very, stuff, very, very far that. away. We don't. And so, you know, if you want, if you want to really, you know, have great, great food that is, you know, that, that, that has some sort of like primo quality product in it. I would argue that Hawaii would be a great place for that. I don't know. I don't know of any just super amazing place, but you know, it's the right growing climate. Everything you want's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just have to have people there that want to want to do it. Uh, Florida, same story. Um, and then you know, after that, it's Mexico or Thailand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, at, there's a lot to be said for the nomas of the world, where they go, look, we're just going to make the food that's from here, and that's it. And if if that's if that's the the best model for a restaurant, then then you know we have that here though. We've got it. Yeah, we've, we've got, got it already. We it's got not Thai food. And also, I want to thank you for paying a little bit of attention to the bastard child of Portland, Southwest Portland, sure. and <laughs> taking over uh, the humdinger spot out there, which for me is like. Mm-hmm now going to be i could actually ride my bike there oh cool yeah but i'm not are really, you going to ride your bike too yeah I'm, i could try that okay yeah. but but close to where i live when i'm in portland um that's exciting when's that actually opening up we're um hopefully going to open before the new year that's or you know hopefully before christmas if everything goes well uh we're in the last throes of construction right now as a matter of fact i just came from there i'm going to go right back there so and what what can we expect there, it's a pock pock wing. It's the same thing as yeah, same thing as we've got. Well, I shouldn't say just. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, and it's. I think uh, that that this is our. If pock pock's going to grow, this is how we're going to grow by by adding these little small little places that serve simple, you know, everyday food across the counter. It's got a lot of advantages. Uh, lower low food price point. Uh, it's delivery friendly. Uh, you know, we can pay everybody in the house a good wage and everybody splits the tips. There's no front of the house, back of the house stuff going on. Oh, that works. And, um, you know, it's just, it just makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and, and you're doing it in Vegas too. Yeah, we've got, we've got a licensing deal in Vegas. We're not actually managing that one, but it's the same concept. Right. But you've got to, you got to make sure the concept works well there. It's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, no, and that, that one is, that one's about figuring out whether it works on Main Street America or not. Right. Uh, we know, we know that it works here because we've got one here and it, it works and, uh, you know, Pock Pock brand is known here, but. How's it going there? Vegas is going pretty well. It's really an interesting thing to be involved in something like that. Um, I don't anticipate getting rich off of it by any means. I, but that wasn't, again, that was never the, the the thing it was like we can do this with low risk we might make a few bucks but really what we get out of it is ip we get to understand um you know how how a place like this if it's operating in you know the most main street place in all of america and uh you know we're able to operate out of that size space then then 
you know, we've got something good. And then the marketing side of you, isn't that, that's good to be in Las Vegas, to be able to say you're there and to get the exposure that you get there. You're, a lot more people are going to know of the Pac Pac brand now Potentially. because you're in Las Vegas. But I mean, we're just, we're just a, a small little spot inside of a food court. Yeah, there. but still, there's a, a lot of traffic so. there. But it is, more, yeah. I mean, but of course it doesn't mean anything unless people go there. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, you know, hopefully we can get people to go there, have a good experience, and when they come through Portland, maybe they'll come. Good. Um, so, yeah. Well, uh, thank you again, and I will hope to see you at Barber's sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. I will absolutely, you know, you say these things, I will absolutely be frequenting there because Great. now, here's the thing about Southwest, living in Southwest. Now that the traffic has gotten so bad in Portland, I can't tell you how many times I've had all intentions to go here or there, northeast, southeast, and it's like, man, you know what? I just don't feel like it. Yep. Just, and oh, so um, it's really nice to have something, uh, some other choices there. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that from a lot of people in the neighborhood there that it's that it's nice to have some more choices. Yeah, so, and that I think people pay attention. I think you'll see more restaurateurs looking in that direction. I've been saying it for years. Why there's a population out there, and it's more of a driving population. It's not Mm -hmm. as much of a neighborhood population, but there are a lot of people who won't mind getting in their cars to go eat well. And you got a parking lot at Humdinger. We do, but there's also you know we're also now you know we live in the in the the delivery app world where caviar and Uber Eats and Postmates and et cetera and all that kind of stuff. And whenever you open a spot like this, you, you're now within a quick delivery and a low cost delivery region. So, you know, that just, I think that in a, in a neighborhood like that, delivery hopefully will become a more popular thing for us. I will, I will keep those words in mind and yeah. uh, I'll probably be able to use caviar now. Living where I lived, it, was, it was not useful. Right. So um, thanks and uh, look forward to it. All right. All right. We'll hope to see you again here. Ciao. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>